Welcome to the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast, a show designed for brand new sales reps working in the world of tech sales. I'm your host, Neil Buyan, and I'm going to be taking you on a journey on the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast. Did you know that you can watch this show live with the guests on YouTube? This show is available on YouTube at happyselling.io. Today we have a special episode of the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast. Hello listeners, watchers, subscribers, fans and welcome to another chapter of the SDR Disco Call show. If this is your first time and you've stumbled across this show on YouTube on your podcast, this is a show for tech sales and sales development reps or BDRs. And the aim of this show is to give you, the audience, insights as to how you get into this career, what things happen, how to navigate this, especially if you're early on in this stage of career. My name is Neil Buyan and I'm the host and my job is to meet beautiful and great guests out there and introduce you to them and guide them on this journey. And with this guest that I met, this is somebody I actually saw in real life. And I went to a really cool sales event a couple of weeks ago. And I was there sitting in the audience and this gentleman popped up on stage and he gave a great presentation and I was gobsmacked. And I was like, I need to know who the guy, this guy is and I need to meet him. So Gans, could you introduce yourself? Who are you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm humbled that you called me beautiful. Is it me that you call beautiful there? Yes, beautiful, um, sir. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, yeah, hi, everyone. My name's, my name's Andy Laws. I am a senior business development manager for a company called Braze, uh, which is a customer engagement technology uh, working across multiple channels. So that's mobile, web, and email, working with brands like Disney, Sephora, KFC, Trainline, you name it. We're, uh, we're a one-stop shop for all things marketing technology and consumer engagement. I love it. And as you can see, ladies and gents, that's why I really like this dude. He's on the money and he's on the ball. Uh, and Andy, for the listeners and guests out there, could you tell us where are you based in the world, sir? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm actually based in the Cambridgeshire countryside of all places. I, I elected to leave London uh, during during COVID. Um, so I was a staunch West Londoner before before I um, moved out to the Cambridge countryside with my girlfriend. We've been here about three years now. So um, really enjoying the fresh air and, and the countryside and, and lots of opportunities to take the dog out for a walk. Oh, absolutely. Love that, mate. Uh, and in terms of, you know, like we're all into sales and we have our passion about sales development and biz dev, uh, what do you like to get up to or what floats your boat outside of sales, Andy? Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll probably get stuck into this a little bit as we get through this episode, but I come from a sporting background. So, um, invariably you can find me chasing after some type of ball or I'm off for a run or, um, I'm out for, for walks with the dog. So, um, but cricket's my, my primary passion. So I spend my weekends either watching, um, digesting or, or playing the sport of cricket, which seems stereotypically British. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And we will definitely be diving into that uh, as we go along with this episode. So a gentle reminder for all of our listeners, watchers and subscribers, if you're listening to this episode in your local podcast, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please do us a big favor and give us a rating because that will help us get the show out to more and more people. And if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, please make sure that you like, comment and subscribe to make sure that you don't miss future episodes. And as with all of our guests uh, and people that come to the show, we're always going to be putting out their LinkedIn profile so you can connect with them if you have any questions or you kind of want to pick their brain. So it's normally at this point, Andy, what we love to do is visit your LinkedIn profile to get a bit of a picture as to, okay, who is this guy? Where has he come from? And what has he been up to? And with yourself, 
I'm very proudly happy to say that you have become really active on LinkedIn. Like I'm seeing you everywhere, like attending shows, like giving talks, doing presentations. We actually had a chat about this like a few weeks ago, and I'm just, again, really proud to see where you're getting to, mate. Um, but if we look at your experiences, uh, so you've, as you said, you, you've had a history working within cricket. Uh, you've been a pro. You've also worked in the world of marketing. You've, you are a, an SDR trainer with the great guys at Trainio. And, you know, for the past, like, near enough four years, you've been working within Braze in various roles in, like, attaining great numbers and figures. But, you know, rather than sounding like a boring job interview, could you kind of walk us, like, from the beginning, Andy, how did you go, like, from cricket to ending up in tech? What's the story there, sir? Yeah, sure. Well, firstly, I'm, I'm glad that the algorithm is is working and I'm popping up on your newsfeed <laughs> as, as often as, it, as you're suggesting that I am. Um, I'm clearly doing something right with the content that I'm sharing. But, yeah, it's been a really interesting career path. And, you know, how, how is it that you go from, as I said, chasing after a ball in a field to, to operating in the software sales development space um mm. it's been a journey of about 10 years and, and certainly not a, a journey that's been easier at, at times um so um yeah the talk uh, the talk that i gave at sales confidence started out with me giving a bit of a, a view as to you know me having a dream as a as an eight nine year old boy of being a professional cricketer why that was the case i have no idea why i didn't want to be um a professional rugby player or football player or formula one mm. driver earning significantly more money or you know why I didn't want to, you know, go to space and be an astronaut. I don't know, but cricket was mm. the thing that I decided to choose. And you know, fast forward about ten years, at seventeen, I signed a contract with Middlesex County Cricket Club. Like, just an wow. amazing experience. Um, one of the two clubs in 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 London, and that that dream lasted for about three or four years. Um, candidly, I wasn't quite good enough. Um, I don't think I ever necessarily fulfilled my full potential that I'd shown as a as a a youth player and then I struggled with injuries too so I had a couple of stress mm. fractures of the back I had a shoulder reconstruction all in the space wow. of about three years four years and by the time I got to the age of about 22 my career was done like there was no coming back from it mentally or physically at that point wow. and the the window of time thereafter was a really difficult one like I struggled with identity loss for a period of time um, and I just had no direction you know I'd, I'd kind of got to where I'd wanted to get to as, as a child and really I needed to try and work through and navigate what it was that I wanted to then go on and do um, through you know my 20s and actually think about what the rest of my career was going to be thereafter right. um, and, so I bumbled and, oh, I'm sorry and if it's right to like uh, unpack that a little bit if that's okay Andy yeah sure that's quite a you know an interesting aspect and point within your life so you know you've got this passion for cricket since a young boy um you kind of sign a contract with a team you know you go through quite a few injuries and extensive injuries by the sounds of it yeah. um and you know you kind of well, in your own conclusion, you're not kind of up to par as to what you need to be to a certain extent within that field, right? Yeah. And then you kind of, like you said, you have this issue with your identity and trying to figure out who you are, Andy, and like where you want to go and what you want to do. Like, could you walk us through a little bit like what was going through those sort of turbulent times with yourself and where was your mind at? Yeah, sure. I think the 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 thing around identity loss is really common with athletes that f fall out of whatever professional sport it is whether they've had a 10 15 year career and they haven't necessarily like prepped accordingly for when their career is going to end or whether mm. it's someone in my situation where the their career is cut short for for whatever reason you go from being known as a certain individual you're on the radio you might be on the tv um you've got people asking for your autograph 
Mm. Um, you know, your friends and family, are, you know, speaking about how the fact that you pr play professional sport and all of a sudden, like literally overnight that that's taken away from you. Mm. And that's quite a difficult thing to digest. And you, you start to actually appreciate that you are just a normal person and you are actually more than just the, you know, the, the title or, um, you know, the, the, um, ticket that people put against your name. Right. So, mm. um, adjusting to that is, is a really difficult thing and, and having to kind of appreciate and fall in love with yourself rather than the persona that the world sees you with, uh, I think mm. is a, is a big adjustment to, to make. And, and that just takes time, right? It took me, you know, best part of three or four years, even after I'd started to forge a career away from sport. To, mm. to really get comfortable in in my own skin and it yeah it was just a a period of inward thinking and like just trying to fall in love with myself as i said yeah and it's it's really interesting you say that so with this identity of self and you know an element it sounds like it's a cost of fame you know you're this person you're this personality you're known for this and then when you're not able to do that you kind of you get disassociated you're trying to figure okay well what am I outside of that? And a really, <laughs> it's a philosophical question here, and it's one of the most hardest questions to answer in life, which is, who, who am I? Because normally when we say, who am I, we normally say, we're this person with this job title. And then we're like, but that's a job. And they said, okay, so who are you? I said, well, my name is Neil. Yeah, okay, but that's your name, but who are you? Yeah. And I said, well, I'm a father or I'm a podcast host, I'm a sales rep. Well, no, those are things that you do. And it's ultimately trying to figure out who is that person and that personality and accepting it. Um, and it's something I'm currently going through right now. Like I have therapy and I've been kind of asking my therapist, like, who the hell am I? Because there are certain personality traits that I have and there are different sides to us. And we're trying to integrate those parts of our life to then find the identity. And I'm really curious to know for somebody who's going through that kind of life right now, what kind of support or what you know help did you have putting that all together, Andy? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question, and and I certainly have not nailed this down. Like when people ask that same question of me, like I, I give very similar answers to yourself, right? Which is, mm. I give my job title, and I give the fact that I'm now doing public speaking, and I give the fact that I used to be a cricketer still, right? So I, there's mm. still a bit of me that holds on to that like previous career. Um, in t in terms of that support network, really the turning point for me at the, at the end of that sporting career happened probably the best part of three years afterwards so I, I spent three years like really struggling and struggling by myself and quite often struggling in silence with uh you know really serious bouts of depression and, and anxiety and mm. at, at one point not really knowing what it was I just didn't feel very well and then it wasn't until I met my my now partner who was like you need to go get help right mm. like she was amazing she was super supportive she listened she cared yeah. Um, and that was a that was a real step change for me. And then I went and got the help that I needed. So I started therapy. I saw a psychotherapist. Um, I actually ended up moving down uh, the medication route as well, which was yeah. really helpful for me. Um, and yeah, like just having that support network. And now my family know too. And and mm. I've been very public with it since my family were aware. And it's amazing the number of people that actually you have within your ecosystem and outside your direct ecosystem too that are like mm. we really appreciate you sharing and we really appreciate you opening up about this and actually i, I i've had similar instances and similar uh, like issues myself or i see it mm. in one of my friends or whoever it is and just initiating that conversation 
actually firstly destigmatizes it, which you know we yeah. all know, but I think it's really important, particularly with men, um, yeah. that yep. you're willing and comfortable to have that conversation. Um, and then the second thing is, yeah, just just talking about it makes a massive takes a massive lift off your shoulders. Certainly from my own experience, hundred percent. And I I think I've, I I hundred percent agree with you on all points. It's something which should be spoken about. It shouldn't be seen as something to be ashamed of. And when you share it with people, and sometimes you know the right people, or when you're ready to share with certain family members, etc., it is like a weight being lifted on off yourself and you know i've kind of said this in previous shows to know thyself is true wisdom right and that's one of the wickedest and coolest journeys you can ever have but it's one of the most toughest journeys for sure that you're probably ever going to face right um but as you you know as you've come out of that and you know you're, you're moving on from cricket like what happened next with yourself andy yeah so i i ended up moving straight into coaching cricket right it felt like the most natural um transition for me and i absolutely loved it right like the, mm. the opportunity to um improve others had, had always been a real interest and passion of mine even for when i was going through myself as an as an elite level athlete i'd love passing on information to you know younger kids that were playing the sport um and i moved into that and i did that for about two years after the end of my career um and the the, the big thing for me that that meant that i stopped doing it as a full-time role well there were two things really um the first mm. one was just the remuneration associated to the role like it didn't pay particularly well um like it was a decent career but it didn't necessarily marry up with you know the life that i wanted to live and the, the money that i wanted to earn and then the second thing was just the cognitive challenge that it provided like i found myself on autopilot a lot of the time and that wasn't mm. necessarily fair on the people that i was working with in coaching you know i could run the same session two three four five times within a week and, yeah. you know, by the, t by the time I got to the third and the fourth and the fifth session, I just wasn't giving the best version of myself and people are mm. you know, paying hard earned money to have that time with me. And it just didn't necessarily feel right anymore. So I, I then needed to work out like, what did I need to cognitively challenge myself? And that's where I mm. started to um, fall into to business and the coaching company that I was actually working for was like, look, do you want to do a bit of marketing and sales for us on the well, side? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll give this a go. And I did that for yeah. a per period of time and really enjoyed the kind of step change and learning something new and having to think that little bit harder. Um, and then I elected to go get a master's degree. Um, I realized that if I, if I was serious about going down the business or the, sorry, the business or the executive route, if you like, yeah. that yeah. I was probably going to need to go back to school and get some education. So I went back to, to university of Leeds and, and got a master's. Um, and that's when I made the transition down to London and working for a multinational within, within marketing. So that was kind of like the, excuse me, the period coming out of sport and what it looked like. Yeah. I love that. And also I just want to quickly, uh, pause this for a second to let people know that, um, when it comes to coaching and, you know, helping other people grow, uh, Andy has recently released something which could, which is going to help a lot of SDRs out there. So I just want to make sure guests, listeners and subscribers please make sure that you stay towards the end of the episode because Andy's going to give some more insights into that as well. Uh, and we're going to have a special offer for you guys and girls as well on that. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, so, so moving to London, working for this multinational. Um, but actually, let, let's take a pause, step back for a minute because you said something really interesting which does resonate with me and it's this thing of autopilot. 
So you're coaching people, you know, you get into the fourth or fifth session and then you're realizing you're autopilot and you're not giving the best version of yourself. And, you know, these people are spending their hard-earned money with Andy. It takes some time to come to that conclusion and recognize that's happening. And I've noticed it myself as an SDR trainer. <laughs> I'll be training lots of SDR teams and we'll go through the weeks and, you know, we're setting up the Zooms, we're doing workshops and all of that. And I have noticed myself sometimes going on autopilot. For me, it was because I didn't feel that my crowd was engaged yeah. or excited with what I was talking about or what I'm passionate about. And it kind of felt like I was just going through the motions to get to the end of that training piece and then hopefully move on to the next and hoping they get it. But how did you notice that you were on autopilot? What were the kind of the symptoms or like the signs to you that you were in autopilot mode? It's a really good question. Um some of it, some of it was just like the level of engagement that I was having with the people that I was coaching and, and mm -hmm. the energy that I was bringing to the sessions too. Um, I think I'm, I'm an individual where it's fairly obvious when I'm engaged and I'm enthused and I'm being stretched. Like I show it physically as much as I, um, you know, have it intrinsically within myself that I'm engaged. Um, mm. and I think that probably rubbed off at times. Um, and I had one or two instances actually where, my my boss came down off the back of seeing me in sessions and i don't know i don't know how much pe people that listen to this podcast will know about cricket but in the winters anyway like there's indoor training and they use like some netting inside the yeah. building and yeah. it catches the balls um when the batters have hit it um and like he was seeing me like leaning off the netting and just kind of like leaning to one mm. side and just like not not big things like it's not a big deal but just some of the body language that i was presenting and and kind of putting on show wasn't necessarily um as upbeat and as energized as, as it could have been um mm. and probably yeah, as i said in in the amount that i was engaging with the people i was coaching the language i was using um yeah it just became it just became evident that i was starting to to flag and, and lose a little bit of interest in challenge 100 percent can relate and you know it can happen subconsciously without us even realizing it right with oh, yeah. our body language how we're holding ourselves so the thing that I kind of did to kick myself out of that, and this is going to sound really weird, but I used to play pump-up music, and I learned this from Morgan Ingram. So like he used to, like, we did a podcast with him a few years back, and he kind of said, you know, before I go into any sort of coaching call or training session, I listen to like Drake, or I listen to like Lil Wayne, or something like that, and I do a little dance, right, before I get onto the camera. And what I started doing was I was doing that by playing some UK Garage, but when the session started, I stopped being corporate nil and I was playing the music at the beginning and the SDRs would see me all dancing around the room <laughs> and they'd actually start clapping with me and it would be the energy that you bring. And yeah. that's kind of how I reignited my passion uh, with it. But yeah, it is, again, it's how you're holding yourself, right, Andy? But um, talking about holding yourself, like holding yourself into this multinational, coming into London, you know, coming into a new way of working in an area, what happened next? Yeah, I mean, I, I was really fortunate to get the opportunity first and foremost. Like, it's a, an amazing company. Um, I don't know whether listeners will have heard of Education First. It's like a 50,000-person strong business. Um, yep. It's like 16 different divisions, offices all over the world. Most people will probably recognize, you know, the kids traveling with the EF backpacks. EF back, and they've yeah, also yeah. got a cycling team as well. Yeah. But there's a whole load of other divisions that work within that business. And, and the, the entry point for me in that organization was actually to be part of an acquisition team um, on the executive education arm of the business. And it was an amazing experience, difficult one, but an amazing experience where I was part of a team that basically went in and 
rebuilt the infrastructure of like the marketing engine and the marketing operations of, of mm. that business. And then obviously then trying to better support um, the sales function too. And it was a really good grounding. I got stuck into lots of different projects across all areas of marketing, which was perfect for me as I kind of tried to find my feet. Um, mm. And also exposed me to, to some, you know, difficult conversations and some hardships in a business that was not doing particularly well at the time and, you know, had been acquired and, you know, the EF organization were going to, you know, try and get it back on its feet and, and grow. So yeah. the adversity piece within the organization probably accelerated some of my learning and development during during that time. And I did that for about 12 months um, mm. before moving over to a different division to become a project manager um, and worked out very quickly that I wasn't very good at it. Um, and um <laughs> for one reason or another um like i just found it really difficult to to harness the the core requirements of what that role was really demanding of me um i struggled with the level of organization required the, the amount of structure you know i was working basically like smack bang in the middle of about a 30 to 40 person marketing team yeah. and having touch points with all of those people um it was really demanding and quite difficult and you know, layer over the top of that some fairly severe imposter syndrome um mm. with me entering the corporate world as a former athlete like it was a it was a really challenging time but i, I certainly learned a heap about um you know w what it was that i might want to do like if you think about the phases of my career i had the athletic career i then moved into kind of like this corporate marketing career and again felt like it probably wasn't quite right for me so I was mm. still on the search at that point as to, you know, what direction did I want to go in? But it was still a really valuable period in my life to be like, right, okay, I've done this. I've learned some valuable skills along the way, yeah. but it's still not quite what I'm looking for. Yeah. And you're right with adversity and going through difficult times. That's kind of where you figure out what works, what doesn't work, what you like, what you don't like. And by the sounds of it is quite overwhelming because... You know, coming from a completely different background, being thrown into this world of corporate marketing, having 30 people around you with all these touch points, it must have been a hell of a overwhelming experience for yourself. And then coming to that realization of, mm, I don't know if this is for me. What were the kind of conversations, and as you mentioned and touched upon, like imposter syndrome, what were the conversations that you were having with yourself, Andy? And what, what did they sound like? Yeah, really good question. Um... I think that the overriding question was like, what the hell am I going to do? Right. Mm. Like this, this isn't sustainable in what I was doing. Like I was finding it really difficult. Um, the people around me knew I was finding it difficult as well. Um, and I, I needed to find a direction and a course of action as to, you know, a, a way of putting another foot in front of the other one. Um, going back to my partner, she was an amazing support through that period mm. of time as well. And then I think leveraging mentors as well was a really important thing in in that process too. And I was really fortunate that I'd established, you know, two or three really good relationships with people across that organization, like across divisions within EF as well, mm. um, who had an understanding for who I was and, you know, the journey that I'd been on to that point. And then also, you know, where my potential sk skills existed um, yeah. and it was funny, like all of them, whether it be my partner or or um, those mentors, they were like, you need to go and work in sales. Like, <laughs> with the work ethic that you have, with the sporting yeah. background that you have, you need to get yourself into a sales environment because that's going to be the place that you're going to challenge yourself most. And that's also where you're going to get the most out of the skill set that, that you have um, and, and what you've presented and shown in the two years you've been in this business. So hmm. um, 
yeah, that's that's then really that was then really the catalyst to be like, right, okay, like what does sales look like? Like what what are my options here? And mm-hmm. I looked at everything from estate agency to car salesman to <laughs> yeah. uh, recruitment consultant through to um, to software sales. And my girlfriend at the time, oh, sorry, I'm still my partner, but she was working as an SDR within a within uh... a software company, and she was like. You need to give this a go. Like this is this I is the route that. of travel that you need to go down. So um that's that was really the kind of turning point for me. I love that. I love that. And you know, um, because predominantly with a lot of our guests that are coming on to here, they have worked in different industries and whatnot, and you know, they've kind of fallen into sales like a lot of us have. Um, but I think you're one of the first guests that we've had where you've had a marketing background and now you're coming over to the dark side of sales, right? Before we dive into like you coming into sales and actually doing that tech role, it's wicked to hear that your girlfriend, you know, she was an SDR, so you had that kind of intro into this life. But what were your connotations of sales being a marketeer before you jumped in? What was your thoughts and, you know, what did salespeople look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I always naturally had quite good relationships with the sales team. And that was probably indicative that I should have been a sales guy, like from from the get go. But mm. um they were there, there was I think particularly with the the acquisition team that I went into um like there was always there was always a little bit of tension there anyway I wasn't even on the same site as the sales team so I was sat in mm. the ivory tower in Chelsea whilst <laughs> the sales team was out actually um at the the primary offices out in the countryside near Birkenstead and mm. so there was this this natural geographic distance between the marketing team and the sales team and then there was an age gap too so the marketing mm. team was quite youthful and the the sales team were all in their you know certainly early 30s and into their 40s so there was a bit of a mm. gap there too and and some tension um i think my my overriding sense from from sales teams was they didn't necessarily have full appreciation for the effort and the work that was going in behind the scenes. Um, mm. And they were also incredibly demanding um, in, <laughs> in what it was that they wanted. Um, yeah. And they were also very um, comfortable with going rogue, right? Like mm. working in a business with 50,000 staff, there's a pretty stringent brand guidelines that are put in place <laughs> for each division. The yeah. sales team did not care one jot about that. <laughs> they would go off and create their own flyers and their own webinars and everything else like that. And you're just yeah. sat there pulling your hair out going, <laughs> this is not what you should be doing. I'm going to get told off. But yeah, um, yeah. I think o- overall, I was fortunate that I had pretty good relationships. And that's probably personality type and the interest that I had in in their day-to-day. And I was also mm. working in doing a lot of... Um, like event-based marketing so I was I was often out in the field and collaborating really closely with the sales teams and um got to share some cool experiences in various places across Europe as we kind of brought prospects together and tried to try to get conversations going mm, I love that I love that and you know coming from this marketing background you must have a good affinity with marketing but also a level of empathy For being sure. on the other side to see their efforts and, and what they're doing and I kind of I went through that phase of my life uh, when I was working at a company called Showpad because we were a solution both for marketing and for sales and the, you know to your earlier point like the, the pitch that I'd give to marketing is it are those pesky salespeople completely bastardizing your you know your your presentations I guarantee you've probably been in a you know a sales meeting as a, pro, a, like a viewer and you're seeing these slides that you've never created that yeah. aren't on brand yeah. that don't follow referencing what customers mar- that you don't have marketing rights for. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah exactly. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I made a lot of friends with some great marketeers. And as a salesperson, I had a lot of 
empathy for them because I know the amount of work and effort that they have to go into. And, you know, um, and the reality of what I learned from that was sales and marketing are maybe two different departments, but they have the same goal, which is to generate revenue. So it is in their best interest to work together. But there has sometimes at points been this them and us mentality. But for yourself, it's great to hear that you've had that experience before coming over to the other side. Um, and with the other side, like, look, when, when I came across your LinkedIn profile, I, I'm seeing like you've been a strategic business development, you've been a team lead, you've been a business development manager, you're now a senior biz dev manager, you've been there for about three, just under four years. Yeah. What was that life like coming now into sales? And could you walk us through that journey of how did you get to where you are now, Andy? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's been pretty wild if you think that I started just before COVID. So I did about six months before the global pandemic here. And I feel really fortunate that actually I got that six months in an office prior to um, everyone working from home because I was really able to learn via osmosis by being in the office. If you think about for most SDRs, the first three to six months is about survival mode, right? It's like, mm. am I cut out for this? How do I become a decent SDR? And then also what the hell is this product or service that I'm trying to sell? Like it's quite, you know, a multifaceted learning curve that you need to have consideration for. And mm. I was sat in the office next to our solution consultant team and our CRO at the time. And I just, you know, I would obviously be working my socks off, but in the background, hearing these two different groups of people, one from like a technical side and then one from like a sales leadership side talking to to prospects was just invaluable for me and and you know you know really fast forwarded some of my my learning and development and going through that experience and then combining some of the experience that i had as a marketer previously working for a marketing technology i think really acted as a solid foundation for me to have a pretty successful career as an individual contributor as as a sales development rep um Mm. and I was one of two BDRs. We promoted three three of the team into AE roles, and then there was just two of us left with a mm. manager that was working out the West Coast um, on in Santa Monica. And there was a lot of just trial by error, a lot of learning by doing. Um, you know, uh, Sam McGill, I'll give him a quick shout out. Um, <laughs> he was looking after all things commercial, so that was SMB and mid market, and then I had everything enterprise, and like that, that mm. was it. We just had these massive territories. We were both working with, you know, three, four, five account executives at a time. And it was just, it just felt like the Wild West. And it was, it was really fun. But at the same time, trying to focus in on the direction that you needed to go in and where to like invest the calorie burn was, was really tricky. Um, so they were mm. kind of, it was a bit of a double edged sword in, in that sense. And as the company matured, that then presented opportunities for, um, me to also mature within within my tenure and experience in the organization we started to scale the sdr team manager was still on the west coast of the us and i just naturally um moved into a bit more of a kind of figurehead and an informal leader for the team in EMEA and mm. helped with onboarding helped with um the just sort of general performance and happiness and culture of the team and that then became a much more formalized um in you know, probably my second and third year within within the self development team, and got promoted to team lead, and then and then to manager off the off the back of that. And hmm. I've not really looked back from a leadership standpoint since. Just really, really enjoyed the journey up and up until now. I love that. And there's there's two elements that I would love to you know kind of pick your brain on this as you've gone through those experiences, and you know ending up in leadership as well. Yeah. So. I'm coaching a lot of SDRs like week to week, month to month. And, you know, a lot of them have their hearts set on promotions or, yep. you know, progressing within their career. Some people want to go into an AE world. 
some people want to go into a leadership role, but sometimes there is this theme of my manager hasn't given me the opportunity yet, or, you know, there's a freeze on hiring and progression and stuff like that. I'm waiting for them to come to me with this job offer, or, you know, they should be paying me my worth. And there's a part of me that can give them empathy because I used to think the same way, like in my early days, right? And I also came to the conclusion is that there are certain things that I can be doing before I have that discussion. I can, you know, put my hat in the ring to being that informal team lead. I can help with the onboarding. I can listen to different calls. I can go to my manager and say, dude, no, you're freaking busy right now. Is there anything I can take off your plate to help yeah. you out with, right? And be a real team player. Um, so my question to you as somebody who's in leadership and you're probably seeing a lot of people and promoting people, et cetera, like that. What advice would you give to that person who's dead set on career progression, but perhaps they're a little bit impatient and they're expecting things to be given to them? What advice would you give to that person, Andy? Yeah, and I was definitely that person, by the way. Um, yeah. Like I would be concerned if the SDRs in my organization weren't career hungry. Um, and my general experience is that's one of the primary motivators for people getting into our world is they know that actually in terms of promotion and career acceleration and earnings, like it's pretty fast by, by all accounts. So, um, it's, it's relatively normal. Um, the, the advice that I would give is be patient, like try and exercise some patience. You've got significantly longer than you think you do. And that's mm. a really easy piece of advice to, to give when you're not necessarily, you know, the one pushing for the promotion at the time. But yeah. in hindsight, I wish I hadn't put myself under quite so much personal strain when it came to trying to get that promotion and, and actually just realized that I had significantly longer than, than I thought I did to, to make that yeah. next step. Then have consideration for the fact, like, are you actually ready? I, and we made a shift within our organization around promoting people on great performance and then coaching them to where they needed to get to in the new job versus actually getting them to 90, 95% readiness and then promoting them. Um, mm. And that really helped with them then going on and being able to hit the ground running and be successful in, in the next role. And then I think you touched on it, right? Which is whether the opportunity is currently available or not, there is always things that you can do that can help you get to that next level and, and a very simple question of your manager or of, of the hiring manager that you want to go and potentially work for is what's keeping you up at night what are the things that I can do to support you what are the areas that I can lean into in in any spare capacity that I have they're gonna a help the business but then also mm -hmm. help myself with development and I'm going through that process right now my, my manager just got promoted and the first question I turned around to her with um, a few weeks ago was like you're making this transition. What mm. can I take off your plate? Mm. Right. And I knew that it was going to take up the extra capacity and time that I probably realized I didn't have, but I'm still going to do it. Mm. Knowing that, you know, a few months down the line, if I can do a good job and I can prove to her and prove to the business that you know, I can take on those responsibilities and maintain the level that I'm currently at in the job that I'm doing, which is also really important, yeah. that then that promotion might then exist. And I was having this conversation with one of my BDRs yesterday. It was like, from my from my personal experience, I, I break up the SDR role into three parts, right? You've got the first okay. like three to six months, which is just survival mode, right? Is this job mm. right for you? Can you be successful? The middle part of the tenure is, can you show consistency and autonomy, right? Can you hit back-to-back -back quotas? Can you, can you continually deliver the goods? And then are you becoming less reliant on the like critical stakeholders around you 
for asking questions and actually becoming a bit more of like a project manager and making demands of people rather than asking questions and seeking help right mm. and then the final component is like that readiness period of your tenure and from my experience that's the hardest part of your tenure because the expectation and the benchmark is up here you've proven that you can deliver the goods over a period of time but the expectation is you stay there and you stay there with more autonomy than ever before. And then you've then got to show that extra capacity on top or find that extra capacity on top to show that you're working towards the readiness for your next role. And that's mm. a really hard thing to do. Like it takes a lot out of you. Mm. You're right. You're right. And, you know, it, it's beyond the thinking of I just need to hit target month on month. And it's a good seed to plant in to get this person to think about, you know, the other things outside of just hitting target. You know, the autonomy, like running your own patch, like running your own campaigns, you know, stakeholder management within sales cycles, working with your AE, like orchestrating a great discovery call together to help get it over the line. Right. These are all wicked things that you can do. And I think, you know, for people that are just coming into sales are like whoa okay that's more than I expected and they may you know sometimes Andy fall into the I don't know if this is for me and mm. they may be that Andy that was working within that team of 30 other marketeers and facing that imposter syndrome what advice or you know yeah help would you give to that person who maybe you know they have that potential they've got that spark but now they've realized it's more than just hitting quota what advice would you give to them to help them you know take that step forward speak to people like have have conversations within your organization and outside of your organization with mm. people of interest and they can be of interest for different reasons they might just be a really interesting person they might have an interesting background they might have the job title that in two three four years time you know you project forwards and you think oh, that might be something that i might want to do and go and have that conversation and that's something mm. i did too right like even though I'd naturally gone down this leadership path and even though I was, you know, exploring all of these different options, um, having those conversations to be like, you know, is this the right route of travel for me? What does this job really look like? Because no job, no job is perfect, right? Like even yeah. as a as an athlete, me getting up at five AM in the morning to go swimming or go make myself vomit on a treadmill. Like <laughs> that's not fun. Like that's not a <laughs> highlight of being a professional athlete, right? No one yeah. wants to do that. Yeah. Um so the same is applicable of, of any job that you're like considering moving into or any promotion that you potentially think about working towards. Yeah. So getting a pretty frank and realistic view as to to what that looks like. And I got some really good advice as well from from my current manager, Del Patara, and we we sat down and we do this annually actually and we explore um you know, what what are the energy givers and what are the energy drainers for me as a per for me as a person, first and foremost? Yeah. Like and yeah. how have they changed over the twelve months that have um come before? And then we apply the career lens to that, right? So what are the energy givers and what are the energy takers from a career standpoint? And again, mm. has there been any changes? And then you have consideration for like what are the potential routes of travel in your career? And what are the potential open opportunities that exist within our organization or what opportunity could you create yourself that lean much more into the energy givers rather than the energy drainers, if that makes sense. And that's been a really powerful exercise to go through periodically with with my manager is, is and, and helps with the course of direction as to where you might want to go. I love that. That's some really solid advice there, Andy. And I think, you know, Asking you, yeah, asking is the first thing. So go find out, stay curious, sure. go figure out what does that look like. Speak to as many people as, as you can. And I've noticed with ourselves, 
when we've been talking about content creation or, you know, speaking events, you came to me and you asked me a whole series of questions. I was really happy that you did that. Um, and then also finding out what gives you those energies, what gives it, what takes it, what brings your passion, what drains the hell out of you. Uh, because sometimes we may take on a job and just go through the motions and just feel completely drained, but we think, yeah, we're going to get somewhere, you know, like that waking up at five in the morning. There's some things you do have to do, right? Even if you don't like it, it is part and parcel of the job. But then over time, it can lead you uh, to somewhere else as well. So the second side of the question uh, that I wanted to ask was, you know, around leadership. So as you mentioned with some of your team, they've gone off to become these AEs on the West Coast. They're, you know, handling this side. You're, you're working in the enterprise space. You're, you know, you're not going into leadership. Um, what I said at the beginning before we started recording the show, I said, you really remind me of one of my first managers, a guy called Richard McVeigh that I worked with in Zora. And the thing with Richard was he was initially an analyst for our company and then he became our SDR manager and the guy was a machine with numbers and data. And it used to intimidate the hell out of me because I used to feel really, you know, out of my depth that okay, I knew what I needed to do as a salesperson. I could have those conversations. But when it came to metrics, pipelines and numbers, it didn't excite me. And I wasn't very good at maths at school, right? Numbers. And that's going to sound really crazy. Like you work in sales, but you're not good at numbers. What the hell? And when I speak to a lot of VPs and CROs, they're like they're talking about this. I'm like, yeah, the shit bores me, dude. Yeah. Um, but you are somebody that uh, has this knack with numbers, yeah. or you know, you understand the importance of data. How did that importance come about, and what advice would you give to SDRs about when it comes to numbers and metrics and pipelines and stuff that they may not even have a freaking clue about, dude? Yeah, I mean, like you know, I, I wasn't particularly proficient with numbers as as a kid, and I felt very disengaged by maths at school. Like, I think I got C at GCSE. Um, mm. I, I just really didn't understand it. I didn't get it, and I wasn't interested in it. And then, um, I think the the turning point for me was when I moved into probably the back half of my like sales development rep IC tenure, whereby I'd always be, I'd always been an individual, and still am to a degree that. I look around the room and I want to be the individual that outworks everyone else. And, you know, that's mm. just an, an innate competitive nature that I've always had from an athletic standpoint and, and even carrying forward. And um, I'd always rejected the premise of like work smarter, not harder. Like if you think about Oprah Winfrey or Michael Jordan or Roger mm. Federer or whoever it is, right, I can guarantee you that they work hard. Like, and they work harder than pretty much anyone else. But mm. there is also a degree of working working smarter and you know the the point that my former vp wendy hankermeyer was like you work incredibly hard but if you were to work with the same degree of energy and rigor but in the right places think about the place yeah exactly like think about the results there mm. instead of burning calories um in just random areas or areas that you shouldn't be burning calories in what happens if you took all of that energy and put it into the right places and that's when mm. i was like the light bulb moment came on i was like well what are these right places how do i find out the the key indicators that are going to present themselves to to me that are going to give me the direction i needed and then mm. she was the individual alongside del Pataro, who were like right okay this is how you can start thinking about slicing data and and looking at information um mm. to help you level up your performance and and then it just snowballed from there and you don't have to be a, like a maths whiz, right? I think mm. some of it comes down to like your level of engagement and 
like what's of interest and i i very much was able to connect right if i can learn how to do this and get proficient with these numbers and statistics yeah i'm also going to see increased numbers in my bank account and that was the thing mm. that was the mm. thing that really got me engaged <laughs> Um, and yeah, and the same applies, the same applies now from a leadership standpoint and the same applies when I'm working with our teams now. I love that. You're you're so right. (laughs) Yeah. So if I can tweak these numbers here within sales then I can see my bank balance. For sure. I think that's, that's that's a great motivator. Yeah. And I think, you know, like when, um, I'm meeting a lot of uh, new SDRs that, you know, are intimidated by numbers or some of them just say to me, like, I don't get the tools. I don't get the CRM. All I see, Neil, is the dashboards where I am on the dashboard against my team and it just makes me feel like shit and I'm trying to figure out how the hell are these people doing this stuff and I said, one thing I did as an SDR was I became best friends with sales ops or rev ops, right? I used to go to these guys and girls and just say, look, I'm not really good with numbers but this is what I want to see in the dashboards. I want to see how many calls does it take or, you know, what are the right sequences that are working? When should I be calling? You know, I want to know how is Andy doing what he's doing? Like, what does his performance look like? And is there any way that I can mirror that? And, you know, having them build out these dashboards or creating my own dashboards within my CRM, taking the data that's already available was how I was able to, you know, deconstruct people, figure out their DNA, and then I'd be able to replicate it. But then going forward as a manager, this was stuff that I would have to, you know, teach my SDRs as well, like get interested or try and figure out how it works at least at a high level. So you know where you stand so that when you come to this one-to-one, you can tell me about your performance rather than me just telling you and then you just sit in the thing and I don't know what he's going on about. Because that's what used to happen to me, right? Yeah. So understanding, so I, I agree with you, understanding those numbers. But there are people within your organization that and it's their job to analyze this data oh, and you sure. can learn from them, right? For sure. Like a, a, any, any proficient SDR leader or sales leader should be able to help you with... Um, digesting numbers and interpreting the the data that's being presented to you and my my, my experience is like it's probably going to be those sales ops rev ops and and leadership personas within your organization that are going to help you interpret that information and, and really understand the science mm. and then it's going to be the reps around you that probably help you harness the arts like when i first started and i was going around and like just living in the pocket of the top two or three you know performers top performers in our organization very rarely when i was asking them, how are you doing it very rarely did it come down to well i'm focusing on hitting these particular kpis and setting these mm. particular or exceeding these particular benchmarks it was like oh well i use this language and you know this is how my sequence flows and this is the narrative that i tell and mm. things like that so um I think if you yeah if you can get that appreciation and understanding and education from yeah your your leadership and from your sales revops team from a science perspective and then layer over the top of that the art from the people that are doing the job day to day that's where you're then going to be able to um you know if you think about it, there's a Venn diagram right like you've got yeah, the science yeah, yeah. on one side the art on the other and like the sweet spots in the middle that's where you're going to nail like the the middle part is when you've got uh, an understanding of both Andy, I'm so, so very happy that you brought art and science into this because I was on uh, early this morning when I was just in my random shit, stupid scrolling on my phone. I saw a salesperson put on a post on Instagram that sales is not an art, it's a science. And I was like, nah, dude, it is an art. It's a performance as well. There are science sure. and there is an art on there as well. But some people will fall more in love with the science element of it. And yep. somebody like me, who's a more of a performer, I love the art of it more so. But I understand you need to marry those two worlds. But as you said, having a Venn diagram, it's finding that sweet spot 
from the data and obviously the talk tracks and you know how you deliver those sort of pictures i thank you so much for for mentioning that dude you've made me very happy and you can exist no pleasure like you can exist across that venn diagram in uh you know at different points right like you can plot on that venn diagram you might lean more towards the art side but have an appreciation for the science or like me you might lean more into the the science side and have to work that little bit harder on the art um, but mm. I think the closer that you can move to the middle of that Venn diagram, the more success you're going to have. Like, just have consideration for where you're currently plotting yourself right now versus where mm. you think you want to get to to elevate your elevate your performance. I love that, dude. And I think this will be a nice uh, meander into currently what you've recently been building. So, ladies and gents, as mentioned, um, going to share your LinkedIn profile just to let everybody know where this is. So with Andy, he's recently launched something really cool. Uh, I think, was it as of this week, right? Yeah. Yeah, yesterday. Yesterday. And I've seen a lot of like big kerfuffle going out on LinkedIn, (laughs) which is an SDR playbook. And if you visit Andy's um, LinkedIn profile, there's a link where you can get to it. But Andy, rather than me talking about this playbook, please tell me about your baby and your creation. Like, what was this? How did this come about? What? Yeah, what sure. Can it, it, certainly, it certainly is a baby. Like, it, and it's certainly been a labor of love. Um, you know, I think you touched on it earlier. I've been in this game for about four years now, and I've learned a huge amount as we've gone through that four-year period. And you know, our organization has changed a lot in that time. From you know, having I think I was employee six fifty maybe. You know, mm. we're up close to 2,000 employees. We've gone through an IPO in that time. Um, and like the amount of structure and change that's happened in our organization has also been significant. And you know, I was trying to think of a way of like, right, okay, with all, all of this experience and knowledge that I've been able to, to take on board and, you know, a degree of success along the way too, how is it that I can distill that down into some actionable resources that would equip people that, you know, we're in my position when I started four years ago, right? How mm. how can I provide them with some infrastructure? How can I provide them with um, some content and some additional support and some frameworks that can accelerate their trajectory within their SDR role? Or like if you're an SDR leader and you're working in a really young organization and seeking some additional structures and ways of working that you know are tried and tested, within an mm. organization that's gone from being a startup to a scale up to a, a yeah. public business. Um, like that's, that's exactly why I built this thing. Right. So this, I think there's seven resources in there that people can take away and they can use, um, that span from, you know, the successful email cadence or the outreach cadence that I used, how it is that you might think about your ICP and the personas and really getting to grips with them. How is it that you um, track your cold calls and some cold calling uh, like cheat sheets and and language right the way through to like a personal development and and promotion plan? And how is it that you structure that? I know we've spoken a little bit about it on this podcast. So how is it that you build some some rigor around that so that when you go to your interview process or you're pushing for that interview, you're like, here's all the stuff that I've been doing. I'm ready for this conversation, right? Um, So... Yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that it's helpful and beneficial for people. And, you know, we'll certainly look to set up a discount link for for the listeners of this podcast so people can get a- access to a, a reasonable price. All right. So you heard that. So firstly, again, congratulations on launching this content. I think it's going to be extremely valuable for a lot of SDRs and BDRs out there, like getting the blueprints of Andy Laws, right? And being able to understand how this guy did all those things and breakdowns and, you know, whether it be from personas and ICPs, account research, like going for that promotional 
cold calls, all of that stuff is in this book. And as you heard, Andy's going to be able to give our listeners a discount code to be able to download that. So we'll make sure that we include that in the show notes. So feel free to check it out. And uh, again, if you like it, let Andy know, give your feedback on it. That'd be super wicked and awesome. So Andy, thank you very much for that. You're the first person to ever do that on our show. So thank you. Pleasure. Um, so as you know, we're coming towards the the end of our show, a question that I love to ask all of my guests. So imagine you've got this young Andy. Uh, he's in this area where he may be going through a turbulent time in his life and he's kind of figuring out who the hell, who am I, is the question he's asking himself. And he's about to embark on this journey of tech sales and launching SDR playbooks and like doing speaking events at Sales Confidence and all this cool shit, right? What three bits of advice would you give to that younger Andy? It's a really good question. Uh, I think the first one is to be patient. Uh, I, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. And I think in a fast-moving world where we've got access to um, picture-perfect perceptions of life via social media and various other forms, I think it's very mm. easy to fall into a trap of comparing ourselves to others and comparing ourselves to like the extremes of what success might look like. I don't think we actually ever really see like the the average. And mm. from my own experience, you know, I'd had one career and by the time I got to 23, 24, 25, a lot of a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends had already moved into, you know, mid-level careers within corporate companies or whatever it might be. And I was having to start again. I didn't find SaaS sales and sales development until I was 27. Yeah. Right? And that's deemed largely an, a, an entry level job. So mm. I think trying to exercise that additional level of patience and then kind of accompanying that and dovetailing that, really trying to focus inwardly on yourself and how is it that you firstly look after yourself and and care for your health. And health is certainly like multidimensional. Like it's not just a physical thing, like it's a mental mental thing, it's a spiritual thing, and it's a physical thing. Mm. How is it that you prioritize that? I still don't get that right. So like, how do you find that balance and make sure that that becomes a priority um, and the health of your relationships too. So with your family and you know, your partner as well. Um, and I think the the final thing I would say is just have fun. Like, I think it's really, I think it's really easy to, to lose sight of actually that, you know, life itself should be enjoyable. Right. Mm. And if you find yourself in an extended period of time where it isn't, I would be questioning what it is that you're doing. And, you know, I had that experience on, you know, through my cricket coaching, coaching and through that, those marketing experiences where life just wasn't that fun. And I needed to go and try change something up to make something more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we're not always going to, it's not always going to be like, like rose roses and, and happy times. Like you're going to have periods of challenge and adversity and things aren't always going to be great. But yeah, if, mm. you, if you find yourself going through a period where just things you're not that happy and you know things isn't fun over an extended period then you know think what you're doing and have a bit have a bit more fun enjoy life a little bit more yeah 100% agree life is short so you got to enjoy what you're doing you got to love what you're doing and sometimes you have to go through hardship to understand what is it that you love right so I think those are some solid bits of advice Andy thank you so much and uh, obviously I think I already know somebody that you want to give a shout out definitely to your girlfriend for being there for and sure. still being there but who who else would you like to give a shout out on to the show today Andy 
Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, thank you, Selena, for everything that you've that you've done in supporting me through through my journey. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't wouldn't be where I'm at with without you. And um, massive shout out to to Wendy Hankmeyer to 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 Del Patara as as my like primary leadership that I've worked with and and have been able to scale my own career. I wouldn't have been able to get to this point without them. And then you know, there's one or two others as well in in our organization. So Gareth Ballard and and Abby Tucker too are two people that I've lent on as as mentors and have always offered honest and um, authentic and you know at times counter counterintuitive um, advice. Um, <laughs> so thank you to 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 those individuals too. And then shout out to the to the Braves BDR team as well. Um, incredible group of talented young people that um, I'm really thankful to to be working with on a day to day basis and and makes my life fun. Most importantly, so shout out to them. Love it. Spoken like a true gent and scholar, Andy. Thank you very much. And a massive thank you to all of our listeners, watchers, and subscribers for joining us on Andy's chapter on the show today. And as a gentle reminder, please make sure that you give us a rating and subscribe in your local podcast platform. And on YouTube, please make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe. And as mentioned, all of our guests' LinkedIn profiles will be in the show notes. If you want to connect with Andy, pick his brain, ask him a few questions, or you know, give some feedback from what you've heard on today's show. And equally, if you want to get hands on the SDR playbook with a discount code, those will also be available in the show notes as well. But Andy Laws, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to have you on the show today. I've got high hopes for you, and I know that you're going to be blowing things out of the water with, you know, your content, your speaking engagements. This guy is going somewhere, and that's why I needed to get him on the show today. But Andy Laws, thank you so much. Uh, wishing you an awesome weekend and happy selling, sir. Thank you, legend. Appreciate having me on. Thank you for listening to the SDR Disco Call podcast today. We would like to get this message out to more and more sales development reps, so please like, comment, and share in your local podcast provider. If you don't want to miss a show, you can always send a blank email to SDR Disco Call, one word, at bcast, which is B-C-A-S-T dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR, BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happyselling.io, and we'd love to have you on board.